big welcome if you're new to Christchurch. Um, it's lovely to have you with us. My name's Ash. I am part of the pastoral team here. We're in week two of a look at worship and uh, something. I go, for a, I go for a walk before I preach. Not every Sunday, but when the sun's, sun's nice, I go for a walk before I preach. And just, I love, I love every series that we go through. I engage with, I don't want you to think I don't love every series that we go through. I really engage with every series. And I'm walking around this morning trying to th- think about my opening line, my opening gambit. And I thought about the idea we're going to spend, I think, about 12 weeks in worship. And I thought about all the, all the stuff that me and Paul will tell you if you come to church for 20 years. We'll tell you all sorts of stuff. And a lot of the stuff that we will tell you is for you to use now, lots of it, how to get through the day now, how to evangelize now, how to do church now. This stuff, we're going to spend 12 weeks, and it only really hit me this morning, is this is, this is stuff we will do forever. We will worship forever. I thought, man, and at first I thought, oh, that's an amazing, I've got a good opening thought, that's awesome. And then I thought, oh, man, <laughs> that's pressure, because we're going to do this forever. This is an incredible thing. We will worship forever. Right, okay. Wanted to do a bit of a recap. I'm going to need some water because I'm on the way to a man flu thing. I think it might not happen. It might just be something that I'm egging up, but it might happen. So I'm going to get some water with me. A couple of things that Paul said last week in his introductory um, sermon. If you've not listened to it, please please, uh, make a point and listen to it. Don't often say this, but it's, it's an awesome one. Really just really helpful, really great platform for us to build on. And I wanted not to nick the sermon and retell it again, but I think the idea of a series is that you build on certain themes. And I think Paul highlighted two or three, well, he highlighted a lot. I'm not going to do his sermon down. It was an awesome sermon. But there were three or four things I think we could do well to hang on to. And so I just want you to cast your mind back a little bit. We looked at Psalm 8. I'll read a little bit of it. But it's this idea that, that there's a song like we can hear next door beautifully sang, but it's more than a song. We need to keep that in our mind. Think, think of this, and I hope it's not too cheesy as, and some of you will think this is too cheesy, as like last week I felt like it was base camp in terms of our look at worship. We've got this mountain to climb. We're going to really get, we're going to meet God at the top of it. We're going to explore worship, and, and Paul sort of set the scene around this psalm, which was a song, Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. And what Paul sort of stimulated us to think about was the fact that, yes, these people were climbing up this hill to Jerusalem, and yes, it was a song, but it was more, as as it is next door, actually, it was more than a song. And he got us, and so this is what I'm going to ruffle some feathers again. I'm just going to, not ruffle some feathers, engage your brains a little bit again to think about what is going on when we sing. Because it's really tricky, isn't it, to sing something that you don't mean? Do you find that? Just to, it, singing is so connected with how we are right there. It's one, of those, it's one of those human expressions that just, if it doesn't come from there, it's actually really quite hard to do. As I'm, and this, it was really helpful to see you singing like that because I was just really moved because I thought that's not just something that's happening from there up. That's not just people reading out words. That starts somewhere deep in there. You know when, you, when you're having a really rubbishy day and you're driving to work and a, a really cheerful Eurovision-style song comes on? You, you can't listen to it, can you? You flick it on for some, 
some, something a bit more mundane and something a bit more boring, something a bit more in keeping with where you are because it is so deeply interconnected. And when you watch The X Factor or something like that, even though the, the, this person gets up, this 16-year-old gets up and sings so sweetly, Simon Cowell can say something like, I just didn't, I just didn't believe it. It's not just that it sounded awesome singing. Simon Cowell sort of says, I need to believe this because there's more to singing than that. And I just wanna, want us to think about, as, a, as base camp, as where we start from, that there's more when we, well, there's more anyway when we sing, but there's more when we come into God's presence and speak truths about him going on than just singing. The second one, he used a word that, um, that, that all sorts of connotations come out, lots of hippie sort of connotations comes out. He used the word holistic. Worship is holistic. This idea that, and, and stay with me, all of life is worship. All of life is worship. And when you hear it, you think, man, I don't want to hear that news. <laughs> I, th- I think I'd rather have it that, that worship time is, is, is like the half an hour thing you do at church. That's worship time. That makes my Christian faith a lot easier. Paul challenged us last week that, that all of worship, all of life is worship. Everything that we do. When we climb to the top of a mountain, even, even the process of climbing the mountain, is in some senses, we worship God. We exercise our bodies. We get to the top and we look at the view. It's a, it is a worshipful thing. Even the way we, and this is horrific, even the way we bring up our kids is a worshipful thing. The way that we deal with our children, the way that we discipline them, the way, we, the way that we love them, all of life is worship. And you say, Ash, I don't want to be challenged with that. I'm, I'm not in that headspace. All of life is worship. Awesome challenge. And I think it's good that we keep these challenges in our heads. It also reminded us, and this, this was just amazing. This hit me like a train last week. Worship is innate. It is not just us in this room here that worship. Worship is, in, is within the human species. Worship is something that human beings do. We are worshipful beings created by God to be worshipful beings and and it's the cause of so many problems, actually, when people end up worshiping the wrong sorts of things. And so we've got this list, and I want, us, I want us, as we go through, I think it's 12 weeks, as we go through these 12 weeks, I want us to keep these sorts of things in our minds the whole time. Let's keep building on these themes. It's helpful for us. One more I would like to add to this list, and that's that our worship must be authentic. Our worship must be authentic. I looked up, because it's a big word, and I'm a simple Yorkshireman, so I thought I'll look it up and make sure I can explain. I'll explain the big word that I'm using. It, the dictionary definition says that it is of, un, and this was really helpful, is of undisputed origin. It's not a copy. It's genuine. And this is another one of those moments where this is like, this is a massive challenge. God, when he looks for worship from us, he wants the real deal in his worship. He wants it to be authentic. He wants it to be the real thing. He doesn't want us just to rock up and open our mouths and close our mouths at the right time. He wants something from in there. And that kind of sets me up for the problem with the human race because being authentic is something that human beings tend to struggle with. We really struggle. There are hints of it along the way all the time, but but being authentic, really meaning what you say from in here all the time is a real struggle for humanity. Jesus makes this 
like a, a generalization, but it's okay because it's Jesus. And he says something that kind of really cuts to the heart of the problem. He said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And I, I've been reading that all week. That verse has been in my head all week. And it's interesting what Jesus actually says. He doesn't say that, that we can't do it. He says that we don't do it. Think about that just for a second. We are, we are created in God's image. Now, we don't, have, we don't have this awesome power that God has, but we're not without likeness to him in some senses. We can look at the hearts of other people. We can do it. We can be this amazing. We can be this genuine, this compassionate, this caring. It's just that we don't. And Jesus says, in a sense, when he says, man looks at the outward appearance and God looks at the heart, in a sense, he says, you're just too shallow to be authentic. I don't know if you watched, Noel's talked to us about Eurovision already last night. Did you, like, like slight nod of, some people really love Eurovision, don't they? They're really, <laughs> they're like, don't, don't you say a bad word against Eurovision, Ash. You're not going to ever speak here again or expect me to come. Some people really get into it, don't they, Eurovision. But if you watch it, you kind of realize the truth of what Jesus says, not to condemn Eurovision at all. But there is, like, there is glimpses of the heart of people in there. You can see it in some of the songs and in some of the genuineness, these genuine characters. But generally speaking, there's just this horrific shallowness to it sometimes. Maybe, you know, grab me afterwards and string me up if you're a Eurovision fan. But that's the way I see it. There's just this overriding superficiality to it. And, and being authentic in the world is really tricky. And this is what the Bible says. You, you, Jesus says this. You are, you are going to struggle to be authentic. I, Isaiah says it in more condemning fashion. When he's, when, when he's talking about the worship that God's people are bringing, he says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on human rules they have been taught. He says, this is the problem with you human beings. Get this concept that is worship, this, this awesome, holistic, heartfelt, responsive thing that is worship, this father-son worship, this nearness that is worship, this personal thing that is worship, and you just end up kind of manufacturing a formulate response to it. You just want to know what to do. It made me think a little bit, and again, this is a sweeping generalization. I make no apologies. I'm at the front. It's difficult. Is, is, is this concept of romance. I was thinking about this in the week. Romance, this idea that, that sometimes, and again, generalization, blokes, I think it's our problem. I don't think it's ladies' problem. Blokes, with, with romance, we get, this, it enters our heads that, that the romance is dead. Do you know what I mean? This comes up every now and again. And you kind of clock it, don't you? You kind of, as a bloke, you kind of go, yeah, that I need to do something about this. I can tell. It's not, well, it's not just that you can tell. Your, your partner said, the romance has died here. The romance is gone. We need to do something about this. And you, you go kind of programmatic, don't you? Again, generally generalization here. You go kind of like, well, what do, what do romantic men do? <laughs> what, do what would another romantic men go and buy some flowers? They go and buy a necklace. They do something like this. And we make it stuff that you do. And that's not romance, is it? It's just stuff that you do. And maybe your wife would say, look, that's, that's not what I'm on about. That's not what I'm getting at. It's that we were in love. It's about being in love. And it's so much bigger than that. And we are so often just make it about what we do. I don't know if you read the blog. You get a chance to read the blog this week. Sometimes it's worth reading the blog every now and again. I, uh, there's a piece in it that, that likens worship to a smile. 
now just, I'm not being heretical, bear with, bear with, okay, that, that likens worship to a big toothless smile. I don't have, I used to do, but I don't really have a nice smile anymore. Too many sugary drinks have put pay. I've got a bit of a toothless smile. But there is nothing compares to a beautiful smile to me. I love, even, even my toothless one, I think, has got its merits. But when I look around at other people and, and you just see that, the natural way that a smile appears on someone's face. Children are especially good at this. When they're having fun and just that innocent, natural, just beam just draws across their face. It just brings warmth to the heart, doesn't it? And you do this thing, because we've all got our phones with us. You say, that was, you recognize the beautiful thing. You see the beautiful thing and you say, I need to capture the beautiful thing. So you stop the fun. The fun must stop and you must stand here and pause for the photograph. And then you say, right, that joy that you were having before, stand there, recreate the joy just with a straight horizon and let's capture some of the elements of the fun thing. Still keep the fun, and, the, and, and often it's kids in this pose, aren't they? And they just look terrible. They're like, what, have you, what are you doing? And you'll say, say cheese then. You'll have to kind of demand the smile back. And you see the kids doing this thing where they kind of got to, like kids, kids smile naturally so easily. And when you tell them to, you know, when you say, say cheese, they don't know what, they can't get there. They're like this. Is that a, is that a smile? Is, am, I, am I doing it now? Because because there's a way around for a smile to be. Smile is a response to the awesome thing that's happening. You can't kind of self-generate an authentic smile. And it's the same thing with worship. When we worship our God, we just rock up on a Sunday and we try and self-generate. We try and go, right, bang, I need to be in worship mode right now. It's rock hard. We, we're grown-ups and we can, we can get through it and we can fake a smile. But God is looking for something that is genuine. God is looking for something that is authentic. And there is a way around for our worship to be. Just as a little segue, that's probably what it is. Something like that, segue. Whenever I think about, so I, I, am the, I reckon in this room, I'm the, I'm the most guilty of this, of this trait, of looking at worship the wrong way around. I am, you talk to me for 10 minutes about church right now. With the building work we're having done and the plans, I'm so excited for the future. And when I think about worship, I just want to, I'll say to you, right, we need to, we, we get the lights right? Oh, you, the worship then? Or we get another 20 people so the room's like full and there's no room? Oh, the worship then, that would just be amazing. And I, I do that thing. I look at worship the wrong way round. Jesus met a woman, the woman at the well in John 4. And they're talking about all sorts of things. And Jesus really helps her out. And then, she, and then they end up talking about worship. And Jesus says... And she says, to this, she says to Jesus, yeah, I know what worship is. Worship is, is um, it's about where, where you go, isn't it? Our fathers say that, that you Jews worship here and, and we worship there. And she kind of says, this is kind of what worship is. It's about place and procedure. And Jesus says, no, it's not about place and procedure. What does he say? Jesus says, worship is about, the worship the Father wants is about spirit and truth. This is has got to be real. Jesus says to this lady, you are looking at worship the wrong way around. You're starting from the wrong end. It starts with about who God is. That's where it starts. It starts with God and then it flows from there. You're starting with stuff and, and procedure and place. But we don't have to worry about that. You worry about starting with God. So we've got a, we've got a bit of a dilemma and we've got an awesome answer that we're going to look at. So I'll ask you just to put the text up if you can at the back, guys. Just pop Isaiah chapter 6 up. This is, this is an incredible, you know, we need, we just, I'm just going to 
confront you with this passage. If you could pop the text up at the back, that would be awesome. I'm just going to confront you with this, this idea, this, this guy, Isaiah. And it's awesome because we get to it in chapter 6. So there's five chapters of him before this doing his ministry. And then God invades and does this. And this is the remedy, I think, for our lack of ability to be authentic. It's to see God. We need to see God so that we start with God. So let's just journey with Isaiah. So we'll read it out. Read out the first couple of verses. And as far as you can, put yourself in Isaiah's shoes. Tricky ask. But I want you to go with it. Take a drink because my throat's sore. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with, are you with it? Each with six wings. Still with it? With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they called to one another. They were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's just remember for a second that although Isaiah penned just some beautiful words, and although he obviously walked very closely with God, he's still a man. He still gets scared of the dark. He's still got to sleep. His heart still races when something scary happens. Can you imagine for a second? Can you imagine for a second what's going on when he sees this, when he's confronted with this holiness? He's terrifying. Uzziah's, Uzziah, who's Uzziah? Isaiah's worldview, at this point, all, all Isaiah knows is, is the stories of Moses and the stories of people who have gone before him who have, who have just been combusted when they have met God. You can't look at God and live. This is in the back of Isaiah's mind. This is, this is where his head's at. God is so holy. We have, we probably, I'm probably guilty of having a slightly wrong view of holiness. Sometimes I've got this kind of Ned Flanders style, he's just really, really good view of what holiness is, just somebody that's really, really, really good, you know, you can have that view. This is holy. He's a kind, good, 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 good guy. When we think about God's holiness, yes, he's good, but we should think, yeah, this holiness is the kind of holiness that means that my sinfulness can't be around it. It's the kind of holiness that's not just good, it just, it destroys averageness. It's, it's fierce and it's bright and it's uncompromising. It will not compromise. It'll just blow us away. We need to be thinking in those terms. Jews, even today, won't say God's name. They kind of whisper it. They'll just say, you know, him, his name. And they're terrified to do it. And there's something we can learn, actually, from that. The fear and the reverence at the awesomeness of God. I don't know if you could reflect about any times when you might say that you've drawn near to God, I've had, a, I've had a couple. When I would say I've, and I, I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to say this right and be respectful, there's definitely been a few times in my life where I would say I've ver- felt very, very close to God, where God has really drawn near to me as I have drawn near to him. And the emotion, the overriding emotion in that moment was fear and awe. I, my heart was racing and I came away scared. God's holiness is not something to, to mock or to take lightly. 
And this is Isaiah's predicament as he, as he sees this vision of God. Most of the commentators write that he's prost- prostrated. He's just completely gone at the holiness of God. And, and what is he confronted with? The king high and on a throne. That's what he sees. Can you imagine it? Would it freak you out? Our minds can't even get there. God up as Isaiah, just having an ordinary day, and he walks in, and he sees God high on a throne. I don't think it's any coincidence that we read at the start, that Isaiah records at the start, that it was in the year that King Uzziah died that we get to see God lifted up high on a throne. King Uzziah, being quite a good thing, being quite a good king, met a bit of a grisly end. But the political worry of the time was massive in light of his death. The Assyrian Empire going to come in and crush Jerusalem. And, King, and, and Isaiah is going to be worried about this. This is a problem for Isaiah. And this will have been on his mind and on the mind of the people of Jerusalem. And yet, he walks in and he sees God, almighty, risen and exalted. And he is humbled. And he says, it's going to be all right because God's up there. Don't we need to, don't we need to see that every now and again? In, the, in our world, in, in so much turmoil just, just now, then everything, every kind of, any time you watch the news and it's political, doesn't it feel like everything's going to fall apart kind of at any, any minute? Are we going to be in Europe? Are we going to be out of Europe? Are we going to vote for Corbyn? Are we going to vote for May? Are the Russians in control of everything? <laughs> Are the Koreans going to blow up the Americans? Are the Americans going to blow up the Koreans? Or worse, I thought that today, what if, what if Trump... And the Koreans get on. Can you, imagine, can you imagine that? That could be worse than ever. And the, the world just feels like so, so fragile. And our own lives can feel like that. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we get up the next day and we just think, I'm not sure I'm going to get to the end of today. So many posts on Facebook are like, I just need to survive. Today's about surviving. I'm about getting through today. That's all, I've, that's all that's on my mind. Isn't it awesome to know that God is on his throne? enthroned, in control, king. Rest in that just now. And this vision carries on. It records that, there's a, that his train filled the room. And we're like, what, what does that mean? And I, I think Isaiah's doing his best to write this stuff down and cover it. But there's this idea, and I guess it's the same as a wedding dress. The, big, kind of the bigger your wedding dress is, maybe you had this when you were a, a bride, maybe the bigger your wedding dress is, the more important you are. You know, like when we see a royal wedding, it's just massive. And it says, the, the, I, if I can't move, the less I can move, the more important I must be. That's kind of the logic behind this. And Isaiah sees something that explains the vast importance of, of God. It's like, you can't, you can't move. This room is full of God's, of God's train. There's nothing to see but that. God is so powerful. And then he talks. And this freaked me a little bit. And I have a job getting my head around this stuff. He talks about the seraphim, the burning ones, these angels that are on fire, six wings. And we need to do the same again. We need to, do me a favor, just try and imagine Isaiah's working this out. Two, Two wings are flying. I'm not sure. Two wings are covering up the feet. Two wings all the time covering up the eyes. Can you imagine this? These are eternal angelic beings. Eternal angelic beings, and Isaiah's watching this, like pouring his soul out, figuring it out, and he's seeing that these angels don't even look at God. Angels that have been there the whole time, they don't even look at God out of reverence and fear. 
They cover their eyes and they, they don't shout at God. They're shouting to each other and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah does that thing that happens to us sometimes and he goes, man, I've got no idea. I had no clue that God was like this. These angelic beings don't even look at him. You ever been to a gig that your mate got you some tickets for and you rock up at the, at the gig and uh, you don't, you don't, and, and everyone just goes, the, the, the band comes out, you don't know who they are, you don't know what songs they're going to sing and it's quite unnerving, everyone goes, yes, everyone just like jumps around and screams and you kind of got to go, yeah, brilliant, brilliant and then, and then there's like back and forth, these, these songs and everybody around you knows exactly what's going on, you're like, what is happening, this is, this is where Isaiah was. He's like, these, these angelic beings, I've got it nailed. They know how holy God is. Man, I am broken. Man, I am completely undone. God's not said a word yet, by the way, just so you know. He's just been there. Isaiah says, and I think it's at this point, I'm going to suggest it's at this point that we get to figure out what worship is. Because Isaiah is reoriented. He's looking at the world very differently. He's done great things in the first five chapters. His heart's been in the right place. But he's met God and he's seen God. And he's, he's recognized, man, this is the God who flung stars into space. This is the God that, that keeps me alive right now. This is, this is the God who looks like that, who, who, who makes me fall on my feet. This is the holy God. I am completely undone. And he uses some words I think are really interesting. He says, I am ruined. Really interesting, isn't it? That's what he uses. I'm completely broken. Do you know how people talk when Shakespeare writes about love? When Hollywood makes a film about love, it's really interesting. It, people say when they, when they see the dream woman walk in, what is it, the helpless guy just goes, man, I'm broken. That's, that's the response. It's not, I'm going to do wonderful things with this woman. It's just, man, Everything that has made sense in my life to this point, I can forget it because I've just seen the beautiful woman that I want to be with the whole rest of my life. That's the kind of language that Isaiah uses. He just says, I've, I've seen God. I get that he's worth it. And everything that I've thought of made sense up to this point now, forget it. Because I've seen this. The other thing that happens to him is that he becomes self-aware. For the first time, he sees, it's interesting, isn't it? He sees God, and he gets to see himself as he is for the first time. Dwells on God, it's like, oh man. And he suddenly, look what happens to him. He's suddenly conscious of what he said. You ever had that in your life where you feel like God's spoken to you through a, through a sermon, and automatically you get to the point where you're like, oh man, and I said that, and I did this. That's where he gets to, and it's not out of it. God's, not, God's still not spoken. He's just seen who he is and he recognizes himself. He is he, forced to look in on himself. I think it's really interesting when, to think about this story in light of repentance. A lot of people say, I'm, a lot of people say it, and actually we, I, do it. We kind of look, we're looking around at everybody else, and it's kind of like, well, I'm better than him. I'm, a, I'm about on a par with him, so I don't, I don't feel like I need to repent. Look what happens when you look at God. The repentance just falls out. This is the challenge for us, I think, today. Because if we look around at each other, we'll be able to get away with not repenting ever. Because we'll always be able to find somebody worse or equal to us. We look at God and repentance won't be an option. The words 
Paul out of Isaiah's mouth. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And again, what we see here is the reorientation of Isaiah. The start of worship. Isaiah is beginning to get things the right way around. Because he's grasped who God is. One other thing that happens, and we'll, bring it, we'll wrap it up, bring it to a close, is that he sees his nation for who they are as well. Have you seen that in the text? He sees God, and in light of seeing God, he sees his nation. Don't, don't we get so, so like numbed by the world, like the horrors that are happening all the time? Put the news on, we can kind of, news at 10, it's awful. Put on, flick it over to channel four, the language is awful. And we kinda, we've seen so much of it with this kind of, this kind of a numbedness to it. People behaving horribly, we're kind of numbed by it. And Isaiah, Isaiah looks at God, and he like sees the world how it is. It's like, man, we need to do something about these people. God matters. And seeing God shows him himself, but it shows him his people as well. My prayer for us, as we think about this, and I guess we are still... I feel like we're still building foundations for what worship is, but important foundations. My prayer for us as we spend the next 12 weeks is that, is that we'll see in, in this time, we will see something of God. If we see something of God, then we will be changed. And if we, if we begin to be changed, then we will be, we will be humbled, made small, before God, we will see ourselves as we really are. And if we see ourselves as we really are, and we see God as he really is, this is, a, this is another aspe- aspect that Paul brought out the other week, this idea that worship is giving something the value of what it's worth. If we are faced with the fact that God is awesome, and we see ourselves for who we are, we start to begin to worship him in the right way. And if we do that, or if we don't do that, if we live out our lives not doing that, I guess what we're doing is just false romance or a fake smile. God is looking for the genuine article, and we find it when we look at him.